Grace and peace be multiplied to you in the knowledge of God and of Jesus our Lord. Amen. Word of God for our meditation this morning is our first lesson, Isaiah 40, verses 1 through 11, as printed in your bulletins and already read. Dear friends in Christ, could you use a little comfort right now? Do you know someone who could? Maybe you are doing just fine, but there are lots of people around who are struggling with loneliness, pain, or uncertainty, or maybe all of those and more. They're not just looking for for happy words or empty platitudes, because we know that such things will will not replace a a missing loved one or provide friends to the friendless. They they won't heal wounds or undo hurts or, or cure COVID. They won't restore a lost job, answer anyone's real-life what-if questions, or put back together what the pandemic has torn apart. People need to be comforted. And that need is is even harder to meet under current conditions. It's not so easy to to give a hug or to promise a friend you'll be right over or or to meet for coffee or over dinner or, or even even to stop by and help someone with chores or shopping or or running errands. Now, the people Isaiah's prophecy was originally aimed at definitely needed comfort. And the obstacles to obtaining it were much greater than anything that a pandemic might present. At the time, he wrote, they were dealing with the knowledge that, that sometime soon, God was going to punish their nation for its chronic idolatry, corruption, and rebellion against him. And in a few generations, the people reading Isaiah would have been the ones suffering that punishment, conquest, destruction, and exile at the hands of the Babylonians. And their difficulty in getting the comfort they needed then was was not a matter of harder times than ours or an insufficiently advanced civilization. It was that their fundamental problem was not with the conditions that they feared or lived in. It was that they were being judged by God for their sins And there was no way for them to remove their guilt or to convince, cajole, or bribe him into ignoring their arrogance, idolatries, and immorality. They were getting what they deserved, and there was no reason to expect any comfort to ease their suffering. And yet... The words with which the Holy Spirit has Isaiah start the second half of his book offer exactly that. Comfort, comfort, my people, says your God. Note the pronouns there. The comfort is not offered to everyone, but to God's people, to the people have, who have the Lord as their God. And this is not and was not limited to those physically descended from Abraham, Isaac, and Jacob. God's people are known and defined by a relationship of faith. Those who trust in the Lord have Him as 
their God. Which means that the comfort that is announced here is for believers of every era and age, of Isaiah's, of Jeremiah's, of John the Baptist's, of Martin Luther's, of ours, and, and of our grandchildren's. And so, so also is the rest of this message for believers of every age, because it is all part of God's plan to bring comfort to those who need it. It is a plan that worked and works on a universal scale, but also one that works for each of us individually. And like everything that the Lord does, it is perfect and accomplishes what it is designed for, not only because He is all-powerful, but also and especially because He loves us. Now, in dealing with sinners and rebels, which is what we all are, just as the people of Judah that Isaiah wrote for were sinners and rebels, we might expect God's message to begin with words of condemnation. But that is not the way He works. He doesn't want to frighten people away. Though sin cannot be ignored and must be dealt with, first the Lord wants sinners to know where He is coming from, which is a place of love, grace, and mercy. And He wants sinners to know that in the end, He will relieve their suffering and forgive their sins. So the first step in His plan is to assure His people. He reveals the ending before the story has been told. He gives them the win. He delivers them, redeems them, blesses them. Before anyone has a chance to suggest, okay, God, I'll do this for you to show how sorry I am and how worthy I am of your forgiveness, and then you can forgive me, okay, deal? Before anyone can even think of that, the Lord tells us that all the struggles and troubles of our lives are at an end. He has done it. He tells us that our guilt is gone, though it wasn't our doing. He has done it. And He tells us that instead of the eternal punishment that we deserve for our sins, we have twice as much back in blessings. God wants His people always to approach Him confident that He will receive them according to His grace, not His wrath. And we can do that because we know Him and we know what He has done for us. We have an advantage over Isaiah's original audience. We know that God sent His Son Jesus to suffer and die in our place. And we know how that sacrifice paid for our guilt, defeated our enemies, and, and gained us eternal life and, and countless other priceless blessings. And we know that we did not deserve or earn any of it. It was all entirely by grace. But even in the Old Testament, before they knew the, the details, they knew the Lord's love and mercy, and they could trust this assurance just as we can today. 
but having assured his people of their salvation, the next step in God's plan for their comfort is to get them ready. He provides a voice to call out to them, to us, to prepare. That was the particular calling of of John the Baptist, as we saw in our gospel this morning, to call the people to repentance because the Lord, their king, was coming soon. But that same call rings out just as truly, appropriately, and urgently today. Every sinner needs to level the pride and offense that rise in in the wasteland of, of his or her sinful heart. Every sinner needs to to humbly clear the way for the Lord by confessing our sins and and asking for His forgiveness so that with clean hearts and renewed spirits, we can give Him the royal welcome that He deserves and receive the comfort that He brings. Still, sometimes sinful pride doesn't go down so easily. We trust so much in ourselves, trust that that we have everything figured out, trust that everything will be better if we just try harder, so that trust that that so long as we're ahead of the next guy, we're we're doing all right. We we trust so much in ourselves that, that we fail to appreciate how fully and how entirely we need God to save us and fail to appreciate how fully and how entirely we therefore need to trust what he tells us. So he next invites us to compare. Consider God's glory. Then consider the weakness and impermanence of your flesh. Look at the things that you might take pride in. Your Beauty, your intelligence, your skills, your wit, your achievements, whatever. And remember where they all will be 50 or 100 years from now. We wither, we fade, and we die, and we are forgotten because we are mortal. And we are mortal because we are sinful. But the truths and the proclamations and the promises of Scripture are immortal like the God who gave them. So when that expert on TV says, things are out of control, and the Bible says, God has things well in hand, we believe the Bible. And when your heart insists that your life will simply unravel unless you worry and obsess over every detail, And the Bible says to cast all your anxiety on the Lord because He cares for you. You believe the Bible. And when you look at those unbelievers who are cool, who are popular, successful, powerful, rich, beautiful, and you think that you want to be like them, but the Bible tells you to trust in the Lord and to build up your treasures in heaven, not on earth, Well, then you believe the Bible. The people, like us, are like grass and flowers that fade, but the Word of the God endures forever. So the message of comfort from the Lord 
is secure and is sure for every repentant sinner who trusts in him. But he doesn't want that message only to reach the elite or the few. He wants all people to be saved. And so his plan also includes spreading the good news. He calls those who know him, who know his grace and mercy, and know what he has done and promised to do, to proclaim that glorious truth to everyone who will listen. This most certainly is not a call to be timid or hesitant. What we have to tell the world is good news, the best news there is, news that every sinner needs to hear in order to be saved. So we are told to get up on a high mountain, to be heralds, to lift up our voices with strength and to not be afraid. We are eager to point people to their Savior and we understand the urgency of it because we want them to be believers welcoming their king when he comes again, not sinners cowering in the fear of their judge. We say to to city dwellers, country folk, and suburbanites all the same, here is your God. Prepare yourself. Repent of your sins. Trust in Jesus and welcome him to your heart and life. Look, he is coming with power to bless you and take you home. And he is. He does. He did. That, that's the final step of God's plan to comfort his people. He proceeds with everything that he has said he will do. Coming with strength, with his arm ruling for him, with his reward with him, with the result of his work in front of him. He returned Judah to its land after their exile. He sent John the Baptist to call out in the wilderness and and preach repentance for the forgiveness of sins. Most importantly, he sent Jesus, his son, to pay for all the world's guilt with his life and blood and to give perfection and eternal life to all who trust in him. So when the Lord comes to his people, he comes to comfort. He offers forgiveness over and over, time after time, to all who struggle under the burden of their guilt. He wraps his arms around the hurting. He shows the fearful, the scars from the battle that he fought against Satan, death, and the devil and defeated them all. He gathers the lonely into his flock, the church, the family of God. He leads the lost guides the confused, and equips the unready. Like a shepherd, he will care for his flock. With his arm, he will gather the lambs. What a beautiful picture of the comfort that the Lord gives to his people. Some days in pride or complacency, we may think that we don't particularly need such attention from him, but we really do all the time. In fact, those who recognize that need are actually the ones who are better able to make their way through this world of challenges and evil and opposition because things always go better when we recognize our own weakness and then plug into God's power, love, and wisdom instead of trying to handle things ourselves. 
So in this season of Advent, we thank God for His plan. The plan that brought Jesus the first time for our salvation and the plan that will bring Him again for our final redemption to bring us to new heavens and a new earth in which righteousness dwells. It's not just for our redemption and eternal life. It's also to deal with the realities of our lives in this sinful world until then. It's God's plan for His people's comfort. And we rejoice to see and know it. Amen. Please rise. May our Lord Jesus Christ Himself and God our Father, who loved us and in His grace gave us eternal encouragement and good hope, encourage your hearts and establish you in every good deed and word. Amen.